So as the video explains, um, we've been talking about five core principles, five core exercises, that if we strengthen those areas in our church, we're going to be able to do so much more uh, as a church. And we come to the final part uh, this morning, which is called sacrificial giving. Sacrificial uh, giving. Um, you may have noticed that each of the Sundays this month, we're showing a short video about how we as a church uh, spend our money, where we get our money from, what we spend it on. And uh, we're just going to show you one final video uh, now that talks about uh, that. When you think of church, do you think of a building? Or maybe the staff team? They all help, sure. And growing them helps grow the church. But Jesus had something more in mind when he started his movement. He had in mind something that includes you, and you, and you, and you, and you. We are the church, and when we each give what we can, the community changes. Not only in Hawley, but around the world. Lives change. We are changed into being more like Jesus. We love because he loved us. We give because he gave. Thank you for being the church. Really, the purpose of those videos is to highlight to all of you the money we have that helps us to run the church, to serve the community, to help, I hope, build the kingdom of God is all dependent on you guys giving to us. And just so you know, so if you're not a church, maybe you may not realize this, but in order for us to meet our budget for next year, we need a roughly a 15% increase in our monthly giving. So I would love it if you guys, um, if you don't already give regularly to the church, uh, to sign up for that. But this sermon is not about that, okay? I'd love it if you give money to the church, because otherwise I'll be out of a job, to be perfectly honest. But this is not what this is about. Because hand on my heart, I cannot say to you, as has been said to me growing up, that you have to give to the church. I do believe that we are called as followers of Jesus, as citizens of the kingdom of God, to give to God's work, which is the kingdom of God's stuff. And I hope and I pray that what we do here as a church is part of that. But it's not the only part. We are not the kingdom of God. We are part of the kingdom of God. And there are numerous other things that you can give to this kingdom of God's stuff. Maybe not even Christian churchy stuff, but in it you see this is the work of God's happening here. These people are, are building God's kingdom, even if they don't realize it, and I want to give to that. And I want to say this morning that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then that is what you are called to do. You are called to give financially to the work of God's kingdom. But, 
I'm very, very aware when I was putting this sermon series together is this is the worst possible time to ask you guys to give financially. You know what is happening out there. You know the news. You know the problems we are having with you know, a, a living cost crisis. We know, because we know when we go to the shops that things are more expensive, that you don't have as much money as you once did. When I started putting this sermon series together, we had that, ma- we had that predicted, that massive price hike in um, uh, heating and electricity and stuff like energy bills. That's still there. This week they've said they're going to give £400 uh, to every household, but that's still not enough. We're still paying more now than we were this time last year, and it's only going to go up. So in some ways, this is the worst possible time to say to you guys, you need to give to God's kingdom. So I want to kind of answer, try and answer this question, or give you some ideas about how should we respond as followers of Jesus, as Christians, to a financial crisis? How should we respond? How should we be different about the way that we deal with money when things become a bit of a struggle, when things start to get squeezed with regard to our finances? And I'm going to give you just three things I want you to do, I challenge you to go and do, uh, off the back of this sermon. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but who would like more money? I haven't got any to give you, that's not, you know, I'm not saying that, but who would like more money? I reckon 90%, if not more of us, would like more money. They did a survey where they asked the question, how much more income would it take for you to be happy? How much more money, how much more income would it take for you to be happy? And the answer the survey came up with was 20%. If I increased what I had by 20%, then I'll be okay. I'll be financially secure. I'll be able to do the little extra things that I'm wanting to do but can't. So if you would get a household income of £10,000, you'd be happy with £12,000. If it's £30,000, you'll be happy with £36,000. If it's £50,000, you'll be happy with £60,000. But there's another way of looking at that. If you have an income of £40,000... Those people who have an income of £33,000 are looking at you going, if I had what you had, I would be happy. Well, would they be right? No. No. See, we, we know the money will not make us happy. But. But. And that but is really important. Because the reality is, I know that I would be able to do so many more things if I had the money. I'd be able to do all these nice little bits and pieces. There's an advert that's just come out at the moment. I think it's for an airline or, or holiday um, company with Hugh McGregor. And he says, um, you know, he talks about buying lots of stuff. And he says, you won't be on your deathbed wishing that you'd bought that large TV. So his answer is, spend your money on experiences. Go out there and see the world. I'd love to be able to do that. If I had a bit more money, I wouldn't need to buy more stuff. I've got all the stuff I need, but, but I could just go out there and maybe I could have that dream holiday, or maybe I could go and see the Empire States Building or the pyramids in Giza. If I had a bit more money, wouldn't it be great? 
Because the alternative, it's better than the alternative, isn't it, of not having enough money or having no money. We don't want to be in poverty. Money is important to us. But the reality is, the more we think that if we had a bit more money, then we'd be happier, the more we feel a squeeze on our finances, the more we start to struggle for the things we need, then the less we're able to look out to the needs of others. The less able we are to give to the needs of others, to share, to give financially. So how can I give financially to others if I'm struggling to make ends meet? I mean, aren't I justified if I'm struggling financially to not give money? You know, I can give in other ways. I can give my time and my energy. I will say this morning, this is not, that is not the same. I think we've got into this line, this argument that, you know, I don't give money, but I give my time. Great. Thank you. But that is not the same. And I'm going to explain in a bit why that is not the same. And I will say now that if you are waiting for that day when you do have money to give, it's never going to happen. It's never going to be there. You will never, ever have enough. Now, we're going to be jumping around the Bible a bit. If you want to grab a Bible, there are some just over there. Just get up and get them. They're just literally on the end of the shelves at the back. Or you might have a, um, a Bible on your phone. Uh, our first passage we're going to be looking at is 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17. Um, it's a history of uh, the Jewish nation that's found in the Old Testament. Uh, and we're going to be looking called Elijah, who was a prophet in a really difficult time. We come up a lot uh, against a lot of opposition. So 1 Kings chapter 17. And the Bible a lot is the Bible has a huge amount to say about money. Huge amount to say. In fact, you could argue that one of the things Jesus talked about most was money. And yet in churches, we don't like to talk about it too much. Do we? I mean, we talk about, we've kind of decided that we'll talk about money and giving once or twice a year. Okay, that's the We're not going to be asking for money every single week. We had a particular focus uh, this month because we feel a little bit difficult, a little bit awkward. We don't be too pushy. We don't like to talk about how much money we've got, but Jesus and the Bible talks about it all the time. So, 1 Kings chapter 17 and verses. 7 to 16. Is this going to appear on the screen, Susanna? No. Okay. It's all right. I've got it in my Bible. So we've got a guy called Elijah. He's being uh, fed by ravens. And then um, God tells him to leave that place. He says, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So the context of this is, and Elijah had announced it to everyone, there is going to be a drought. There is not going to be any rain. Now, for us, a drought means we can't use our hose pipe. For them, it meant that was it. No food, nothing. It means starvation. It means death. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with 
foods. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Now, a widow, they didn't have um, a system where they could, a welfare system at that time. A widow, if it, someone who'd lost their husband, no longer had that income from you know, the man working to be able to support her. So this is a woman who was in poverty. This is a, a woman who was struggling to make ends meet, regardless of the droughts. But you stick a drought on top of that, and you can imagine how bad it was. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, Oh, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now note what she says. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. See, the widow's answer to this request for food and drink is, I can't. I haven't got enough. I've only got enough for a last meal for me and my son. So how would you respond to that situation? If you're Elijah, you'd be like, oh, okay, sorry, yeah, no, I understand, it's a drought, yeah. But that's not what Elijah says. Elijah said to her, verse 13, don't be afraid. Go home and do as I have, as you have said. But first, before you do that, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and son. So he's saying, look, and this is a real, real big thing. He's saying, before you do feed yourselves, you give to me. Before you take your what little you've got, you've only got enough for you and your son, give to me first. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I love that. Do not be afraid. I'm going to ask you to make, take a step of faith here. I'm going to ask you to do something completely ridiculous. I want you to give to me first. Why? Because God has promised that he will supply your every needs. So if they wouldn't have done that, she would have just had her last meal with her son, and that's it. Because she responded and trusted God, showed, showed by first giving the food to Elijah, then God rewarded her, blessed her and her son, and meant they survived through the entire droughts. God will provide. That's the promise that we are given in this passage. See, there's a real danger, I think, of us being fair-weather Christians. I looked up the word fair-weather uh, in the dictionary, and it basically means someone that cannot be relied upon when the going gets tough. You only do things when it's okay. As soon as things get difficult, then you step back. You can't be relied on. You won't do it anymore. And when we find a financial crisis as the one we are in, 
there is a danger we become fair weather in the way that we do givings. The way we give financially. We cut our cloth according to our income. Which is fine. By the way, I, I'm trying, I said this before when we did a series on sex. I preach black and white, but I realize that things are gray. I preach black and white for you to go away and discuss the grays. Okay? The, this is not as clear cut maybe as I preach. I'm aware of that. But I believe what I say is true, and I believe it's up to you guys to go and talk about it and think about it and pray to God about it and work out what it means to you. I'm just saying there is a danger that when things get tight financially, we stop giving to God and to his kingdom. You probably can't see what this is. This is a... Uh, silver one dollar, 1888. This is a gift to me from my father-in-law. And on it, it's got some Latin on one side, which I don't know what it means. But on the other side, it says, uh, in, in God we trust. In God we trust. Actually, from 1955 on all American currency, it has the words, in God we trust. And actually, those words are a distillation of those words I read to you from Psalm 115. They took that passage and distilled it to, in God we trust. And obviously, that's supposed to reflect the fact that America, first and foremost, is a country for God. That's debatable, but never mind. But I think it's really interesting they've put it on our currency. Because I find it a lot easier to trust this than God. I can hold this in my hand. I can see the difference it makes to my life. I can buy things with it. I can buy stuff. I can go to the supermarket and I can use my money. Now, I'm not using cash anymore. But the principle's still there. I can trust in this because I can see it. I can touch it. I can feel it. But trusting in God is far more difficult because God is intangible. I can't see him. I can't see everything, everything he's blessing. I can't understand and comprehend. I can't know the plans he has for me to prosper me. So therefore, it's so much easier for me to trust in my money. Now, I can go back to the time in my 20s when it... I did feel I could trust God. You know, going to Bible college, financially didn't make sense. I had a mortgage to pay for, um, but I trusted that if it was the right thing, if that was God's plan for me, then, then he would support me in that. And I was hugely blessed by people giving financially for, to me, I've been, by my mortgage being paid for, by uh, tenants in my flats. I took a leap of faith, and it paid off. But where I'm at now, I'm, I'm, I frustrate my wife considerably, I think. Uh, I'm just completely fixated on my retirement. Um, I've got another 20 years until I retire, but I'm completely fixated on planning for my retirement, for making sure I am financially secure, that I have the pensions in place, I have the savings, I have houses, whatever. Now, none of that is bad. A lot of it is wise. But I've realized that I have changed in the way I think from my 20s to now in my 40s. 
that actually I've put my trust in money and goods and possessions rather than God's. Because I can work at that. I can plan for that. I can make investments that will hopefully uh, mean I've got a comfortable-ish retirement. But I struggle with this idea of trusting in God's. It says these words from Jesus. Let's just turn to Matthew chapter 6. These are some really black and white words that Jesus uh, preaches uh, uh, on what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he says in chapter 6 and verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. What are treasures on earth? Money. Possessions. Our stuff. Don't store them up. Why? Because that's where moth and rust will destroy. These things will not last. And where thieves break in and steal. Yeah, put your money in the bank. It's a little bit safer. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, in God's kingdom. We're not talking about some place up there we go to when we die. We're talking about where God reigns, those things where God is working. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a really important line. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, Jesus is saying, I can tell where your heart is, I can tell from where your faith is and where your trust in God is by where your treasure is. If you're putting all your trust in what you have, then that's an indication of where your faith is at. Because Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In my version, it's got money in capital M, because actually it was mammon. It was a, a God that Jesus is referring to. You've either got this God, our Heavenly Father, or you've got this God, money. What is it going to be? Because you can't serve both. It all comes down to that question of trust. Who do you trust with your security? Who do you trust with your life? Who do you trust with your future? Is it your finances, your job, your houses, your possessions, your investments, or is it ultimately God? I'm not going to read on, but it goes on straight after those verses to Jesus saying, don't worry about what you have. Look, God knows that you need these things. It's not a, and it's, we don't want to be in poverty here. That's not a good thing. But try not to worry about these things. God will provide. But your job is to first seek God's kingdom. Seek God's kingdom first. Give to God's kingdom first then all the rest will sort itself out. That's what we saw with the widow. She gave to Elijah first, and then God sorted out the rest. See, if we give God to God last out of the things we got left over, that shows no trust. If we say to God, look, I haven't got any mu- much money, but I'll serve you in what I do, that doesn't show any trust. You give to God first, Because that is a sign of trust. 
that money isn't your God, but God is your God. So I'm going to tell you as we come to an end. Basic truth, okay? If you give money away, you will have less money. Let's show that again. If, I, if you give more money away, you will have less money. It's a simple equation. It's obvious. We are not some sort of prosperity gospel here where I say, if you give to God £10, then he'll put £50 in your pocket. God can bless us. I'm not arguing that. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If you give more, you will have less. If you are giving 10% of your income to God's kingdom, be that the church or whatever, when you look at people in your position out there, and you look at the holidays they're going on, you're going, why aren't I going on? Why can't I afford to go on holidays? Oh yeah, it's because of giving money to the church. That is the reality. And yet God, and yet God is saying, if you want to be happy, it's not money. That God's saying, I will bless you if you first give to me. One more passage. 2 Corinthians and chapter well, 8 and 9. I might, I'll look at both of them. 2 Corinthians. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. It's a much nicer letter than uh, 1 Corinthians where he has a right go at the church. It's a lot more positive. But he does try and encourage them to give generously. He shows them the example of the church in Macedonia. And uh, chapter 8, verse 2, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty whirled up into rich generosity. Okay? So the circumstances, a bit like the widow, really bad, poverty, not good, and yet out of that whirled up rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And what they do, they gave their money to Paul and, um, and his Titus and the gangs, because they, they recognized in them that they were good doing kingdom's work and they were willing to sacrificially give to it. But then Paul goes on to verse, in chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. If he's saying to you, remember this, what's he asking you to do? Remember it. So go away and try and remember this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give. By the way, I do not know what any of you give, by the way. Sue the treasurer does not give me a list. And I look down and go, oh, they're only giving that. I do not know. Sue tells me she will never do that. So do not worry. I have no idea what you give. And actually, it's really important that it is between you and God and what he lays on your heart. Interestingly, God told Elijah, I have commanded the widow to give to you. God had laid on her heart, despite her circumstances, to give to Elijah. God had prepared the way. God has laid on your heart, even if you choose to ignore it, what you need to give. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Are you a cheerful giver? I used to remember when I first gave, I used to give a check. And then, you know, every month write a check. But some months I would forget. Or it was difficult the next month, writing two months worth. 
of, of tithe. I wasn't a cheerful giver then. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 11, you will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. You'll be made rich in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion. I want to be made rich, not actually financially, but that does help. It's a proverb that says, you know, make me rich enough um, so that I'm, I can give, but not so rich that I forget who God is, or something like that. It's much more elegantly put in Proverbs. I want to have enough to be able to give, but not so much that I start making money my God's. So seek God's kingdom first. Give to God and his kingdom first, not out of your leftovers when you have enough. But giving first is giving sacrificially. Three things. Now, as we come to an end, sorry. Three things I want you to take away. Three things I want you to do. One, take time to examine your heart. Where are you at with terms of money and possessions? What are your motives? What are your attitudes? Who is your God? Number two, are you showing a different attitude to money than someone who isn't a follower of Jesus? I saw a quote somewhere, and I couldn't find it, but it was from a non-Christian saying, look, you Christians are saying we should be more like you, but if I look at you and you're 90% like me, then who's the one trying to be like who? You know, it seems very much like you're trying to be like me rather than asking me to be like you. How are you different to everyone else out there when it comes to money? Because we're not going to shine very brightly if we're just the same as everyone else. And then lastly, number three, something practical I want you to do this week. Give away something that costs you. It could be money. It could be a possession. Give away something that costs you. Now, it could be filling out the, uh, uh, the, the money for the church. You know, I'm not, you could, there's an electronic box back there. You can do contactless. Great, lovely, thank you. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about looking around, maybe asking God to highlight our needs, maybe drop an envelope of money through someone's drawer. A packet of nappies was what happened to a friend of mine when they could only afford to have nappies or breakfast. A packet of nappies appeared on their door. Ask God to reveal to you who you need to give to. Not your time, not your energy, not your skills or your talents, your money or your stuff, because that's where it hurts. Because ultimately, we want to show a different attitude. And we want to make God's increasingly our God's rather than our possessions and our money. There's going to be some questions now just to encourage you to stop and think before we carry on our singing.
How does the way you think and feel about money betray your true beliefs? Do you trust God or money and stuff? What stops you giving financially? Who is God commanding you to give sacrificially to?